Welcome to the Weekend Bite presented by The Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Daniel Snyder, and thanks for tuning in this week. So it's Earth Day, and we couldn't help but put together a great show for you centered around sustainability and ESG investing. So let's dive in. Joining us today is Jonas Wallmander, CEO of Azelio, a company that is working on achieving long-duration energy storage through their device, which they call the Test Pod. Jonas, thanks for taking the time to join us today, and congrats on the new role. I'd like to start by asking you if you can share with our audience a little bit about the Test Pod and what the mission is over there at Azelio. Yes, uh, we are a Swedish company, and we have developed a device, a device that harvests the sun's energy daytime and then converts it into electricity nighttime. And as we all know, the sun is not shining all day. Uh, I mean, it's on the shining daytime. Uh, so you, we need a device that really can uh, transform the energy from the sun into electricity, not only a couple of hours, but really for the full uh, 24 hours of the day. And this is our device that can provide these uh, services uh, of electricity. So how I want to ask you, how big is this issue? Obviously, we know that uh, we don't have sun 24 hours a day. I think everyone on the planet knows that. But in regards to the future where we're moving more into energy consumption, whether it's electric vehicles or everything's battery powered or we're trying to move off of oil and gas, how big is this issue that we're talking about? I mean, it's like this. Um, <clears throat> you can only provide uh, energy from uh, solar cells or, or solar energy uh, roughly in a sunny country, maybe up to 20% of the total share with no storage. Uh, and if it's not a sunny country, uh, you need maybe, you can only provide like 10%. So the only way to provide uh, renewables for a higher share of uh, the sort of energy mix is to install um, storage and especially long duration storage since that can really cover the sort of bulk of energy needed uh, also nighttime and especially for uh, applications such as uh, farms uh, smaller or mid-sized industries ev charging stations as you mentioned there are two ways either you invest in infrastructure that takes time and is very expensive or the second uh, option is really to install uh, storage very close to the EV charging station. And by that, uh, always have energy ready when you uh, charge your EV car. Yeah, and you guys have the test pod that you're working on for energy storage. Yeah. And you keep referring to solar energy, though. I'm just kind of curious, and I think our audience as well. Um, why solar over any other form of renewable energy? Uh, Solar is by far the cheapest uh, energy uh, source today. Uh, there are really, really, uh, I mean, we have contracts that are less than 10 cents per kilowatt hour. And so the future is really solar and wind, of course, but uh, they have the biggest potential moving forward uh, when it comes to renewables. Um, I think there are no energy source uh, that can beat solar today. But the issue is always you have to provide the solar energy uh, or even nighttime and sort of even by applying storage, you can even out uh, the energy from the solar uh, 
also to, to use it nighttime, and that's sort of the key for the future and the next step in renew renewables. So we're talking about it being so cheap, which completely makes sense from yeah. an investment standpoint. Now, about your, your product, the test pod, how much storage are we talking about within, within one component of those? I mean, the uh, key with our solution is that it's, it's a modular solution. You so just stack them side by side. And by that, uh, you can have uh, whatever size you want. So it's a modular standardized solution stacked by side by side. So you can in increase or decrease uh, the capacity. Uh, when it comes to the number of hours uh, for our solution, we have 13 hours of storage. And the reason for this is really that it's the perfect match with solar energy. So by providing solar energy, combining it with our test pods, we can uh, provide 24 seven uh, electricity. Yeah, Jonas, I wanna, I wanna ask you one more thing before I let you go here. I mean, all of this is really um, insightful information, knowing that we're moving towards a very energy dependent future, probably more than ever, right? Because we're, we're moving off of oil and gas or we're trying to, right? Um, what is the biggest difficulty that we're running into when we move into long-term battery storage? Uh, the biggest difficulty that we will run into when it comes to uh, long duration energy storage is really that uh, we still need the um, energy source. So we always have to connect it to a renewable energy source. And of course, uh, we have designed our solution for the solar energy because we th think that that is the most rapid growing technology sort of uh, deployment. But uh, it's probably a little bit uh, tougher and you need more uh, hours of storage if you're going to uh, have a solution that is perfect for wind uh, because the wind is sort of more volatile. Uh, the wind power, you have a couple of days of uh, windy, high winds and a lot of production, but then you can have weeks with no wind. So uh, I think that going into even more hours will be a challenge uh, for many technologies and it's a big uh, landscape of long duration energy storage solutions coming up where Acero is one of them and the first mover really, one of the first movers into this new space of uh, energy storage. Well, let me ask you real quick as well, in regards to commodities, are you seeing what we're hearing about through the media in regards to lithium and nickel and cobalt and all these other minerals that go into creating these long-term duration batteries? Are you seeing issues with that as well? Uh, we don't see issues with that at all since, uh, or we have, of course, uh, all the uh, like commodities are increasing at this moment. But since we are based on aluminium and pure aluminium, uh, we have an increase, but not uh, as big increase as, for example, lithium or nickel, cobalt. Um, so uh, the increase in these uh, commodities has really sort of strengthened our, our position. Amazing. All right, Jonas, let's go ahead and leave it there. Thanks for taking the time to join us today and for sharing all your insights Thank with you. our audience. You have a great weekend, okay? Hey, great weekend. Thank you. And now our next guest joining us today is Alex Snyder, Portfolio Manager at Center Square Capital Management. Alex, we've heard from the team at Center Square before when Uma joined us on the program. And back then we were talking about the 30-year mortgage fixed rate breaking over 4%. And that was just two to three months ago. 
And here we are today with it over 5%. So just out of curiosity, how is the team at Center Square viewing this development in the, in the markets in regards to investing in real estate at this time? Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you today. Um, happy Earth Day, by the way. Uh, as far as uh, how the mortgage rates are affecting the market, it, it certainly has an impact. What you're seeing in real estate is that the affordability of homes, which has already been stretched over the last couple of years with all the home price appreciation that we've seen, has really gotten out of reach for a lot of people. And you're starting to see that in the data. The uh, mortgage applications are falling uh, five plus percent. New home sales are falling you know, almost three uh, percent just in this month. And so it's really starting to have an impact on on the way that people view their ability to afford, you know, kind of the typical American dream. Uh, and then the best way that, you know, we have found here at Center Square to kind of invest in this trend on the other side, stepping around it, it is to invest in um, rental residential because that kind of drafts off that um, the increased uh, price that people have to pay in order to afford a home. And so, you know, we're buying single family rentals, manufactured housing, senior housing, things like that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the single family home rentals because that's also what we talked to him about. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, but from, from an investing standpoint, what should investors be focused on in regards to the single family home space? Um, I think they should be focused, you know, if you're looking at the mortgage rate uh, on the second derivative of how that's moving. Right. So the, the 10 year, the 30 year, you know, which is the government treasuries have really just spiked. If you're looking at a chart, it, it's gone basically parabolic here uh, over the last several weeks, month. And that leveling off is going to be a really important uh, indicator for the market. And if you look at the next uh, Fed meeting, the market is fully expecting a 50 basis point rate hike. And you have uh, some people even out there saying that it could be 75 basis points. And, and so what we're hoping here for, for the sake of the market and a lot of real estate is that the rate rises will start to kind of peter out, you know, because they've been baked properly into the expectations for what the Federal Reserve is going to do for the year and for what inflation is going to do for the year. And how does that impact the ESG side of investing within single family home real estate? If we're seeing demand crush, is that beneficial for, for people like yourself? It's a bit of a, a tricky one here because what happens is rental rates draft off the cost of single family home ownership. And as rates have risen, it's increased the cost of buying a single family home, making rental rates for similar homes more expensive as well. And so it's really rippling throughout the entire residential spectrum. And the, to benefit from that kind of rate rise uh, is to be a landlord basically right now. Um, everyone that already owns a home that already has fixed rate locked in um, is really benefiting as well. That has become a massive asset for people uh, to the point where it's probably going to really cripple uh, a lot of people's ability to move going forward. If you have you know, a mortgage rate that you got at two and a half percent for 30 years, and if you move, you're going to have to get a new one that's over five, you're going to think twice before you end up moving. And so it's going to continue to just hurt the supply of the market going forward. And so what we need is we need more homes built. And I think, you know, politically, I mean, one of the social things that we can focus on is, you know, getting more housing for people. That is the single best way to make it less expensive is to allow people to build. So we need different zoning. We need um, probably better immigration policies. Uh, and uh, we just need to get you know, more homes 
in the air out of the ground for, for people to live in. Yeah, and as we move into these new developments, um, I just want to tailor this back to ESG again because we're, we're seeing, you know, the new certifications like LEED, right? Like I remember being out in Los Angeles, seeing that on the building when I worked at Disney. It was LEED certified, and we're seeing all these certifications. But in regards to residential, with these new developments, what is the biggest way you are seeing within investments that these builders are going, oh, we are going to make this to ESG standards? Yeah, so residential and single family homes, you know, especially in a place like California, you're seeing a lot of solar panels on the roofs and that is reducing energy usage. You're seeing low flow faucets. You're seeing yards that are more adaptable to the existing landscape. So instead of making sure that everyone just has like, you know, this beautiful lush lawn of grass, you know, you can get this beautiful lawn of, you know, rocks and cacti if you're in Las Vegas, for example. Yeah, so it, re it reduces your overall water needs. You're seeing windows put in that have uh, really high energy ratings so that they keep, you know, your heating or your cooling inside the house. Uh, better roofing, better laminate flooring, so you have to replace it less. Because don't forget, every time you replace something, you have to pull it from somewhere and you manufacture it somewhere, transport it, giving gas prices. And so those are a lot of the ways that you're seeing it from an environmental standpoint when you're building residential these days. I have here in my notes uh, that we got from you um, in regards to existing buildings. Right, we've been talking about newer developments, but what about all the buildings we've built in the last few years, past decades, mm. that are not up to ESG standards? What kind of renovations as investors should we be seeing happen to these buildings out there for us to go, oh, okay, they're actually putting the initiative, whether it's an old tenant building, right? An old apartment mm. building. What are those buildings going to start doing in regards to ESG and bringing that up to standard? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. And look, real estate is a little trickier, you know, because at some level you have a skeleton you can't mess with. You know, I, I can, you know, get stronger, but I can't make myself taller. Right. And, you know, so you can only work with the bones you got. And in real estate, the way that you can do that, say in a residential building, is you can replace the HVAC systems. Right. And that's good for the social and wellness of the buildings. It's uh, better air quality for the tenants. Um, what's a very popular one is putting solar panels on roofs. You know, tall apartment buildings aren't as good of an example, but something like a big warehouse. Imagine where you get all of your Amazon goodies from. It comes from a giant warehouse that has this huge flat roof and is basically a perfect setup for solar farms. And so that's been a really popular way to, to reduce energy usage by putting that renewable uh, power source on top. Uh, better windows, same as you are seeing in a lot of, you know, single family homes, you know, to, to keep the energy systems better. And then purchasing carbon offsets has been a really uh, big one that everyone from real estate companies to, to tech companies has been doing. And I love if you could also um, just touch on this health and wellness matters point that you shared with us, because obviously it seems like most apartment buildings that are being built now have the gym, they have the pool, they have the, the health and wellness aspect that people are really looking for. And I think that's probably helping drive revenue, is it not? Oh, absolutely. And you're seeing this up and down the spectrum. It's not just residential. If you look at, say, office buildings, right? Th this is what the tenants want and demand. And you know, you've probably all heard about you know, the, the difficulties that a lot of office buildings have had attracting tenants. But at the top end of the spectrum, even during COVID, it hasn't been nearly as hard because what tenants want is what a lot of new buildings are offering. It's outdoor space. It's lots of natural light. It's great air quality. Uh, and, and these kinds of wellness initiatives 
are, are driving leasing, even in one of the toughest sectors in real estate and office. And, you know, much less in something like residential, um, where people live and really want to be able to spend their time at the place where they live, going to a gym, being outside, swimming in a pool, having a dog park, things like that. It's really, really driving uh, tenants to uh, landlords' buildings. Um, I want to wrap up with you real quick, though, because you did send over this example of a REIT that really just caught my eye. Um, the largest private landowner in the U.S., can you, tell, can you tell our audience a little bit about this REIT, who it is, and, and what you love so much about it? Yeah, so, you know, most people think of real estate, I think they justifiably think of a skyscraper or something like that, right? Tall office building, tall apartment building. But there's a REIT called Weyerhaeuser that owns forest land. And I just sat down with their uh, CEO a couple months ago. One of, the, one of the benefits I get being a portfolio manager at Center Square, you get to meet a lot of really, really smart and interesting people. And he was telling me how their carbon offset credits, you know, which is uh, metric tons of carbon per credit, is kind of in mid-teens right now. But for forest owners, if that gets into the mid-20s, they don't have any incentive to cut down their trees. And so when, when it's called silver culture, when they plant trees, they plant them in order to harvest them. I almost think of it like a very long growing cycle for corn in a farm or something like that. They, will, they are starting to plant them differently to maximize the carbon capture in their forests to sell those carbon credits that a lot of these companies are going to need to buy in order to fully offset um, their carbon use. Um, so it's a really kind of fascinating angle of one of these real estate reefs where they're growing these trees not to cut down and use in homes necessarily, but just to grow them to pull the carbon out of the air and keep it there. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan for that myself. I think everybody has to remember, we can't just tear down trees without putting them back. Alex, let's go ahead and leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time, helping us understand a little bit more about ESG and real estate investing and be better equipped as investors to invest in real estate going forward. Be well, and have, yep, be well and have a great weekend, okay? You too. All right, now the moment you've been waiting for, let's bring in Seeking Alpha's Kim Khan for next week's Catalyst Watch. Hey, Daniel. Well, following on from what we just heard um, next week on the economic calendar, we've got new home sales coming in on Tuesday. Um, a lot of housing data came out this week indicating um, you know, a surprise rising housing starts, but otherwise indicating that there's a slowdown in the sector. Um, we've got our first look at QD, Q1 GDP coming up on Thursday. That's expected to show a sharp drop to growth of just about 1%. And um, then on Friday, you've got the Fed's favorite inflation gauge, which everyone will be watching. That's core CP, PCE price index, which is co uh, coming along with personal income and spending numbers. But of course, I mean, that all might get overwhelmed by earnings and huge uh, number of companies reporting on the calendar. Um, we had one mega cap in Tesla reporting this week. We get the other five next week. Um, on Tuesday, it's going to be... Uh, Microsoft and Alphabet on Wednesday, Meta Platforms. On Thursday, you get Amazon and Apple. But also on Thursday, you get Twitter, which could be quite an interesting earnings call, especially if, as I hope he does, Elon Musk tries to get on the call and pull a Gordon Gecko at Teldar Paper. Yeah, that'll be interesting for sure. And I know we saw the headline this week about uh, he's got the money lined up for the investment. Yeah, he said he's got about $46.5 billion lined up from different major Wall Street banks and, and looking to you know, maybe go direct to the, the shareholders with his um, 5420 offer. 
which is which is way over the enterprise value, right? And not to mention you have even Jack Dorsey now coming out telling the board that they don't know what they're doing and attacking them. So it's become definitely the drama of Wall Street, it feels like. Yeah, I get the feeling that yeah, Twitter is kind of hoping other private equity companies are not Elon Musk might come up and maybe have a bidding war, but they've kind of backed out now. So it's still looking like a one-on-one -on -one battle. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Real quick, Kim, what was your take when you saw the, uh, the Netflix reaction? Oh, man, I mean, the amount of capital wiped out, I think it was a bit of an overreaction considering. I mean, I know the subscriber growth, um, you know, the subscriber, drop in subscribers was a huge shock to people, and it is kind of a, a sea change moment. But, um, you know, I mean, a 40% drop is, is pretty sizable for a company that, um, you know, was is doing very well. The biggest concern, I think, was that they said that because of this, they're going to stop spending um, as they have on content, which really then just kind of puts them further behind rivals. So a lot of talk now, maybe they try and consolidate with someone. You know, I wouldn't be surprised seeing Netflix starting to pick up the phone and calling maybe, you know, uh, Discovery Time Warner and saying, hey, you know, you want to do a deal. Yeah, I mean, look, there's what, three major airlines that run the airline industry. Why can't there just be three major content players, right? Yeah, well, there used to be three networks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, Kim, let's go ahead and leave it there. You have a great weekend, all right? Thanks, you too. And that wraps it up this week, everyone. Happy Earth Day once again. Go outside, plant a tree, hug a tree, do whatever you would like to do, and stay safe out there and have a great weekend. When the markets turn red, it can get stressful. You may feel the urge to just sell everything. Don't. This could be a great opportunity to invest in companies at a deep discount, which is why you want to find the stocks with favorable ratings within defensive sectors like utilities, consumer staples, and real estate. And here's how you do it. First, head over to Seeking Alpha and create your account. Then go to the top stock screener page and select which sector you're interested in. The defensive sectors we mentioned are already set up here, so let's click on utilities. When looking inside those sectors, larger cap stocks are considered defensive as the generals die last. So you're gonna wanna click on advanced filters and add the market capitalization filter here. Next, click on edit filters and move the quant rating slider to at least a buy and the market capitalization slider to the upper third or fourth percentile. Finally, you have a list of stocks that you can go through. Let's check out NRG Energy. The goal here is to find one trading closer to its 52-week low rather than the high. And that's how you find the best stocks when the markets go red. Head to SeekingAlpha.com right now.